The following talk was given at Mile High Church in Lakewood, Colorado. Please visit our website at milehighchurch.org. We begin uh, our sixth installment today of our 2018 Adventures in Faith, Bridges to Breakthroughs. So we're building inner spiritual bridges from what was to what is calling to be, from the past to the future, from pain to possibilities, and from where we are to where ideally we'd like to be. It's a very powerful series. Uh, and it's, it's not only bridging Mile High Church into its next chapter of greater growth and expression, it's also equipping all of us to deal with change and loss when it ever comes into our lives, as it will from time to time. Now we've got our bridge here, and we have installed five of the seven planks in the bridge. Now those steps, let me review. First of all, it's accepting change, not running from it, but accepting change. And then secondly, honoring feelings. Honoring the feelings that are natural when change does come into our lives. Thirdly, then, it's embracing transformation. That out of the change in the feelings we're in, we're giving ourselves over to transformation in our lives. And then it moves us to that place where we're ready to re-enter the game of life. Re-entering the game is step number four. And last week we talked about receiving the gifts. How it is that there are gifts for us in even the most difficult, the most heartbreaking of experiences. And in the bridge, we have planks that uh, represent the virtues for each of those steps. The first one uh, being uh, courage when it's about accepting change, courage to accept that. And the next one is honesty when it comes to honoring our feelings. And then when we talk about embracing transformation, it's the step of surrendering, giving ourselves over to something bigger happening within us. And reentering the game calls for heart, the heart to get back in the mainstream of our lives. And then last week, as we receive the gifts, it's about gratitude. Knowing that uh, the whole journey of our lives, we can step back and feel grateful for it all as we've gone through many transitions, many changes uh, on our paths. And so we're ready to keep going forward into breakthrough territory today. Um, Henry David Thoreau said something that sadly is so very, very true. He said, most people lead lives of quiet desperation. Quiet desperation. Sadly, I think that's so very true that so many folks, and I know we ministers encounter them a lot and work with them, so many folks feel directionless, um, unfulfilled, uninspired, and deeply unworthy on their life path. And, and there's always then the scurrying to try to, to prop up a life uh, with that as its undercurrent, to prop up a life and uh, and... And sometimes that leads to even more uh, pain and and suffering. Phil McGraw, also known as Dr. Phil, most famously, he wrote an obituary for these folks. And he wrote it about a fictitious person uh, called Robert Jackson. I want to share it with you. Mr. Robert Jackson died yesterday of complications from doing a lifetime of crap that he didn't really want to do. His condition was further complicated because he also failed to do much, if any, of what he did want to do. Experts report that he died from cramming someone else's idea of life into his body, his brain, and his life. Attempts by Mr. Jackson to fill the voids with work, cars, excessive eating, alcohol, three wives, 2,000 rounds of golf, and meeting everyone else's expectations 
expectancies, but his own, were dismally unsuccessful. Unfortunately, this all took so much out of Mr. Jackson that he was just flat worn out and died about 20 years too soon. Miserable in his last years, he died unpeacefully yesterday at his home. He was surrounded by colleagues from the job he hated and family members who were all just as miserable as he was. (laughs) It can be true, truer than we know. The antidote for that, the alternative, is our topic today, casting a larger vision. And it's the next to last step in a process of bridging. Having received the gifts, it's time for us to cast a bigger vision for our lives than that which we have left, than the old. And yet there's a whole lot of confusion around this subject of vision. Um, The source of vision, what is it? Where do you get a vision? And how do you create a vision? And I think a lot of folks knowing that they've got to have some dreams or plans, go ahead and concoct them without a clear sense of what a really powerful, reliable, life-enhancing vision really is. And that creates a whole lot of pitfalls on the path. Because some people try to dream and and plan for their lives out of striving for self-importance. And so what they come up with as their plan It's not so much true for them as it is the ways and the means by which they can feel defined and and validated on their path. And, And the challenge with that is that if those dreams don't unfold, are not accomplished, then individuals who dreamt that way feel a failure, that they came up short and didn't achieve that in their life. And thus, they're nothing or very little. And there are, of course, those who their dreams are about self-importance are very reluctant to let a dream that has died go because it's really about proving themselves. That's one of the pitfalls. If you don't know what a vision is, you dream to create self-importance. And then the other pitfall, one of the other two, is, is, is dreaming out of dissatisfaction with life as it is. Now, If life isn't working, yes, we dream for something better, but in many cases, people's dreams are band-aids over what's going on rather than something new and exciting and compelling. It's a band-aid. It's a a way to alleviate the pain, to dissolve the discontent, uh, to fill the inner hollowness. It comes from that mentality of thinking that the grass is always greener uh, on the other side of the fence. I like what Robert Fulgham wrote about that. He said, the grass is not, in fact, always greener on the other side of the fence. Fences have nothing to do with it. The grass is greenest where it's watered. When crossing over fences, carry water with you and tend the grass wherever you may be. And I think there's also the pitfall in careless dreaming of dreams just for entertainment. Dreams in which the dreamer has no intention of actually taking action. But it's really good party material, you know, to share at parties. But is it really something that will drive that person? No, not really. All of these are pitfalls on the way to a dream, on the way to a vision that can really lift up and transform a life. There's a Buddhist parable. When the eyes of an ox are covered it will go around and around, turning a mill wheel. But if its eyes are open, 
It will not go around in circles. Realizing that, the truth of that, it's time to take off the blinders. Take off the blinders. It's time to open up to the true source and the true power of a vision for our lives. A man named Barry Hearman, who's a wonderful author, he wrote the book Noble Purpose. Listen to these words. You are bombarded with messages from the larger culture, advertisers, self-help books, and often from your own inner dialogue that if only you could change or be something you are not, everything would be fine. You've heard that message? That if only you could change and be someone you're not, everything would be fine. And he goes on to declare, there is nothing to change. There is nothing to change. There is only the return to your deepest essential self. And then that which is most authentic and unique in you will emerge. That's where a vision comes from. That which is deepest and most powerful in you. True visioning asks the question, what makes me come alive? What makes me come alive? It's, it's honoring the most authentic you, that authentic knower in you, and the authentic dreams, those which are organic to you. Visioning is about kneeling at the feet of your heart and, and your uniqueness and your power and seeking to bring that forth rather than concocting plans and ideas for self-importance or to put band-aids on life or just to, to talk about frivolously. No, it's about the depths of you. It's about discovering the divine imperative at the very center of your being and aligning with that, cherishing that, learning about that, consulting with that, owning that, and allowing it to come forth with courage so that you follow it and let it blossom within you. Like the pre-med student I read about who got into that out of feeling like it'd be a nice career and a lot of family support, but yet had to admit that all along his life, what brought him alive was flowers and that he really wanted to be a floral designer. And he changed. And I'm thinking of Mark Nepo, um, who we've had here, a wonderful writer. His father wanted him to be a lawyer. His mother wanted him to be an architect. But all along, Mark Nepo knew he needed to be a poet. And he's become one of the finest. Thinking about a 67-year-old retired nun who went into medical school and was asked why. And she said, because God isn't finished with me yet. You find that something in you that the Spirit isn't finished expressing. To say yes to that. And to let it come forth. So casting a larger vision. Let's talk about three of the things that are essential for that. First of all, honor the God-inspired you. I'm talking about honoring the real you, not the you that you've tried to uh, prove yourself to be, not the you that's been fashioned by other voices and forces around you, not the you that's tried to agree and and appease and please, so many different forces, but it's honoring the God-inspired you. It's so wonderful that you're a part of a teaching that declares you're not separate from your source, 
The very spirit of the living God is the breath of your breath. Life of your life, nearer than breathing, closer than hands and feet. Now you can ignore that and you can go by your own means and design things as you want. But the great power is coming back home to the God-inspired you. Understanding that that God-inspired you is like a God seed at the center of your being. It's your soul, it's your spirit. Call it what you will. But that God seed has potential and uniqueness and richness just as the acorn holds the template for the glorious unique oak tree. So does the God seed in you. And the visions, the dreams that really matter are the ones that sprout out of the God seed at the center of your being. That's where vision really works. It's when you set aside all that you've tried to be and you attune to what life wants to be, what your genuine essence wants to be and to do and how to show up and what matters. Even if it's unconventional, even if it's outrageous, that even if others scoff at it, it's your divine imperative. There's a verse in the Bible that says, He, the one that has begun a good work in you, will continue to develop it. So that God's seed is there for us to honor, cultivate, and let it begin to show us the greater vision that we hold. And then the next step is to stoke the inner fires. Casting a larger vision is to know that this, this God's seed is an energy, and the more we honor it, the fire starts burning. And, and we feel this energy within us, and we can stoke it, and that energy, that fire within is, is capable of carrying us beyond the obstacles and the difficulties that any great vision will encounter, to stay connected with the fire of your passion for what wants to express in you is so important. I want to tell you about a lady named Taeyeon Kim. Taeyeon Kim. Uh, she, in the 1950s, was a young girl in Korea. And at one point, she saw her uncles practicing martial arts. And she writes, what I saw awakened a deep feeling within me. Their movements seemed mystical, beautiful, and exciting. I had to learn how to do that myself. Well, in coming upon that deep realization, she was lining herself up to be in conflict with over 5,000 years of culture and tradition. Because in that culture, girls were simply... um, asked to learn how to cook and to sew and uh, so that they could get married and have security. And girls were never allowed to practice martial arts. Never. But she decided she wanted to anyway and she kept pestering her uncles over and over. And finally her uncles, just to quiet her, let her practice a little bit with them, thinking that she'd get so sore and so bruised that she'd quit. But to their surprise, she didn't quit. And to their greater surprise, she actually progressed quite well. Well, they rejected her and told her she couldn't do that anymore. And then family and friends and neighbors tried to pressure her not to follow this dream. And uh, she was even beaten and locked in her room. Her father at one point called her a disgrace and a terrible daughter. 
At one point, her mother even hacked off her hair in a terrible design so that she'd be too embarrassed to go out and practice. But Tai Yun writes, I was determined to break out of the box everyone was trying to keep me trapped in. I knew I had to be true to the burning desire within me. Well, by this time, her family was at wit's end, and they decided to send her away to live with some monks in a monastery. And the monk that came to receive her and take her asked her at her house, so what do you want to do when you grow up? And Tayun said, I want to become a teacher and help people. And the monk said, well, a teacher? What can you possibly teach? And she took a stand and declared, I am going to be the first woman teaching martial arts. And then she writes, unlike every other person in my life, he did not scoff at me. Instead, he said, look at me. And since girls were not allowed to look at a monk in the eye, I thought he was crazy. But he looked directly into my eyes for a long time. And then he said the words I've been waiting so long to hear. Yes, you will become a great teacher. And I will teach you martial arts. In that split second, she said, my life changed. So Taeyun Kim went on to become a grand master in martial arts. She lives now in Los Angeles, teaches there. She's a leader in the Korean community there. She is an author and a personal development coach and speaker and an incredible being who knew that what it was about to make it through was to stoke the inner fires from that God seed within. And then the third thing that we've got to do at some point is to start trusting. Trust the unfolding path. Because once you discover that something's impelling you and you honor it and you stoke those fires, you still have to go out on a journey that you don't fully understand because they don't give us a map for a great vision. You just know what has to be and you know you got to go for it and you got to step out into the unknown and keep going, trusting that there's an unfoldment that will take place. I I remembered um, something Erica and I learned when we... Uh, seven, eight years ago, we're in uh, Africa. We learned about the impala. Uh, and, and our guide said that impalas can jump almost longer and higher than any other uh, part of the African uh, ecology. And that in fact, he said, when an impala jumps and leaps, it leaps so high and far, it can't see where it's going to land. And yet it leaps anyway. And I thought, well, then that's how to live. Because we got to leap and we don't know how we're going to land or where we're going to land. In some cases, it's probably good we don't. <laughs> because we say, I ain't taking that leap. You know, I've been thinking about my own path uh, and how it was at 14 years old, my mom drug me into the Lake Ridge Theater over here in Lakewood, where Mile High Church was meeting at the time and filling up this large theater. And to my shock, I found what finally activated my spiritual understanding. I'd had an earlier experience at about age six, spiritual experience, but I didn't understand it. And all the ideologies that were heaped on me over the years just didn't jive. And I know a lot of you have had that same kind of experience. But I came into this teaching and it all came together. And it, it healed my self-esteem as a, as a youngster and it, it impelled me forward. Uh, I could never have imagined where it would take me. I knew pretty early on that in one way or another, I'd be living out and doing this kind of teaching. I didn't know I'd be a minister at first because I was kind of suspicious of ministers, uh, to be honest with you. 
But finally, when I owned up to that and started down that path, I couldn't have imagined. And I sit here, I think back, I could never have imagined all that unfolded. But I had to just trust that path. I couldn't have imagined that, that, I'd, that I'd go up to Portland, Oregon and work with a small little group of people and we'd actually grow and buy a, an old church and renovate it. I couldn't have imagined how much love we would feel for each other. And then couldn't have imagined that then Fred Vogt, our minister emeritus in memoriam, um, who had been my mentor all along, said, come back and work with me, Raj. I really need to be here. I couldn't have imagined how powerful that would be. And all the things that we would do in that tenure, that stage. Couldn't have imagined creating that Dimensions of Mind symposium that we did eight of them with world-renowned speakers, uh, 2,000 people attending each one of those events over uh, in a single day over eight years. I couldn't have imagined it. Couldn't have imagined that I'd go to Dr. Fred in, in 1979 and say, hey, Fred, you know, we ought to do a Christmas candlelight service. And Fred said, oh, Raj, nobody will attend that. <laughs> 39 years later, we're going to be doing eight of them this year. I couldn't have imagined that. I couldn't have imagined the joy of meeting my incredible wife when I turned around on the patio in 1987 and and, and what we would become as a family and how we would grow and evolve. Couldn't have imagined coming back here as senior minister. Couldn't have imagined all that. Couldn't have imagined all we'd be doing here and building the community center and this place and the offices. and I couldn't have imagined how we as a congregation would have grown and, and, and how powerful we are. I could never have imagined any of this. I couldn't have imagined being a part of creating the Association for Global New Thought, an umbrella global new thought organization that created the Season for Nonviolence. And I couldn't have imagined that I'd be sitting with the Dalai Lama three different times and interviewing him. I couldn't have imagined any of this. I couldn't have imagined what we have become. But you know what? You got to just trust that that spark fanned into a flame will impel you. And you just keep walking. You just keep going. And it keeps unfolding. Couldn't have imagined it. But I do love that spark. And I can't imagine where it's going to take me. I want to ask my beloved uh, Dr. Michelle and Reverend Josh to come down and chat with me because I love these two people so much and I'm so happy that they're here and that they are that they are willing to step forth in leadership that they were willing to leave thriving ministries to be with us it's just incredible and I've been talking about this undeniable spark that just swept me up how was it for you? Mm. Well, for me, uh, I also found this teaching when I was 15. And when I was 18 years old, I was over in the, the vote center taking a class when that spark of ministry hit me. And it seems like a theme in my life. I don't know how it is for other people, but resistance, huge resistance is often a sign of <laughs> something of I should probably that, do, do right? Because... <laughs> As soon as it hit me, my next thought was, that's the dumbest idea I've ever heard in my life. Why would I want to do that? Be a boring minister? And uh, it took a while, but once it got a hold of me fully and I surrendered into it, it's become the greatest trust walk of my life. I love how you're talking about it in terms of trusting. Once we get hit by that vision and we say yes to it, then it's we sometimes want to obsess about the hows, but it's really a trust walk, just walking, taking the next step, taking the next step, which is what I did. And when I graduated from the school here, 
Dr. Fred came to me, and you'd already gone to the Huntington Beach Church, and he said, you know, Mitch, we'd love to hire you here as a minister, but you're so well known as our administrative person. I think you need to to go out into the world and experience ministry, and then maybe someday we can hire you back somehow. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I said, okay, that's what I'll do. And so I did, and I walked a path through various ministries that... Uh, I listened deeply to that voice and trusted it many over and over and over, and it never let me down. Yeah. The more I trusted it, the more it was strong, and it never let me down, even to the point of, of doing things that seemed illogical at times in my ministries or doing things like saying yes to you to coming back here, <laughs> which seemed somewhat illogical in, in many respects, and to my community in Arizona seemed very illogical. Many of them still think that I came here for a man, you know, because I did get a good husband out of the deal. So. <laughs> That's not that bad. <laughs> I admit that. <laughs> but it was, it was something beyond that. It was something deeper. Yeah. And so it was all about trusting, yeah. just trusting. It's like we got to fasten our spiritual seat belts and just pedal the metal and see how we go. Exactly. Yeah, and mm-hmm. you've done that so well. And you too, Josh. Yes. Well, I so admire Michelle. And it's pretty cool that the administrator receptionist is about to become the leader of our church. What a story. (laughs) And, you know, uh, both of you, you know, talk about trusting uh, the path, but you know, one of the great lessons about that is that when you do trust the path, all of us who get to benefit from it, mm-hmm. you know, think, think about all of the lives, Dr. Roger, for you saying oh, yeah. yes to this path, uh, those of us who've benefited and been inspired, it's, it's, it is unimaginable. Mm-hmm. And uh, same for you, Dr. Michelle. And for me, uh, the same as both of you, I found this teaching as a, a teenager and you know, as, as special as it was to find a great teaching, as special as it was to find a community that was seeking to be inclusive because I just wouldn't have been a, a part of anything that wasn't. Uh, the thing that I think I, I discovered there that really shocked me is it wasn't just encouraging me to have my own vision, but I, I discovered that there was a vision for me there. You know, I, I met people who saw things in me that I didn't know were there. Uh, I, I would have someone share uh, that they saw a gift in me or a talent in me, and uh, I'd wonder what the hell they were talking about. But uh, what, what happened is I, I eventually learned to, to give it a chance and, and to start yeah. living in that vision. And just like Dr. Roger said, I can't imagine, but, but something can. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you can't imagine that vision and the things unfolding in your life, know that, that something can. And all you have to do is have that little bit of courage to live for that cause and that power greater than you are, just to, to allow yourself to live in that sacred vision. And you know, I'm touched today by our, our veterans who've given their lives for a cause greater than themselves. You know, and that's what a vision is. It's not something we just uh, come up with. Uh, it's something that we give ourselves to and provides for us and our loved ones and everyone in an amazing way. Uh, my heart broke thinking about the, the officer that stepped in to uh, mm-hmm. try and help a, a shooting that was going on and what caused that man to step in and give his life. It was, it was following that vision for, for safety and protection for us. And each of us in our own way, whether it's being of service and fighting a fire or being a good parent or and just being a good person in life, when we, when we realize that there's a sacred vision for all of us um, and for each of us individually, and we, we learn to give ourselves to that, it, it unfolds beautifully in our lives. And it has for me, it, 
I, I can't, uh, couldn't imagine getting to share the stage with the two of you. Uh, and it's just been uh, such the blessing of my life to give myself to that cause greater than myself and to find that in doing so, it has given me just so incredibly uh, much. It's so hard to describe. Mm-hmm. You know, you put so well that um, what assists us all when we, sense, when we have a sense of vision but we don't know how it's going to go is those who can see our greatness even when we can't. Yeah. And we here at Mile High are dedicated to knowing the greatness mm-hmm. and the beauty of you and, and the vision in you even when you're doubting it. And that's why it's so powerful to hang out here exactly. because we are people of faith in ourselves and in one another and all that the divine is seeking to be. Mm-hmm. And then I think about beloved Mile High here. Mm-hmm. You know, what a God seed has been unfolding as Mile High. Do you know that it was actually 60 years ago that Mile High was founded by a small group of people who met in the sales auditorium of a Kirby vacuum cleaner store <laughs> and started studying Ernest Holmes' teachings and the science of mind and spirit. And it's out of that seed, 60 years ago, Look at how that seed has been unfolding and becoming and growing and how still it's bearing fruit. And, 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 and now there's a new limb that wants, to, <laughs> wants to, to come into expression for our beautiful church. Mm-hmm. And yeah. Aren't we blessed that these two folks are going to be leading us forward? These great hearts in these people. And it's good. It's really good. This week I found a reading that spoke to me. Writers always have to know when a chapter is finished. Nothing can spoil a book more than the author is not knowing when to stop. (laughs) We have chapters in our lives as well. And it's very important for us to recognize when the present one is finished so we can go on to the next. To wind up a chapter when we sense its completion, whatever the length may be, is crucial to our growth. Chapters come in endless varieties, vocation, personal relationships, schooling, philosophical ideas. We must train ourselves to recognize the right time to close out an old chapter, for we cannot wholeheartedly begin a new one until we do. Recognizing chapters is an art worth cultivating as we seek to express our souls on a higher level. So today we're completing six of the seven steps in bridging. Mm-hmm. And uh, I feel like I've done my, my thing in these mm-hmm. six steps. And I'm going to turn over the seventh and final step to you two next Sunday. Mm-hmm. And by the way, next Sunday is going to be extraordinarily special. Some incredible surprises. Do not miss that. The next Sunday, they'll be leading us to the final step in the bridge, which is about leading forward together. It's about community, mm-hmm. and I really appreciate that. You know, there's a, uh, in, in the book and the movie Eat, Pray, Love, Elizabeth Gilbert uh, had dinner with an Italian man who was teaching her some words, and one of the words he taught her is attraversiamo. Attraversiamo, attraversiamo, which means let us cross over. Mm-hmm. In fact, let's put this up on the screen and we can all practice that. Attraversiamo. Attraversiamo. Again, attraversiamo. attraversiamo. <laughs> you gotta, something about this makes it work. Yeah. Attraversiamo. attraversiamo. It means let us cross together. Mm-hmm. Life supports us in crossing, in bridging over losses and limits and fears and self-doubt. And the good news is we don't have to cross alone. Mm 
that the great spirit crosses with us always. And so what is it, beautiful ones, what's the vision for you? And what, what is it that the divine wants to help you cross into, cross over and into in your life? Hmm? Well, so beautiful ones, it's time for us to put this sixth plank in the bridge for vision. Mm-hmm. And then I think it's time for the three of us to cross over into our new next chapters. Okay. Thank you for listening to the Mile High Church podcast. This podcast is made possible by the generous contributions from listeners like you. If you'd like to make a donation, text 720-230-1404 or visit us at milehighchurch.org.